This morning's scripture reading is from Judges chapter 6, verses 36 through 40, in the New International Version. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece, and all around the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. The word of God. When I was a new Christian, um, I mean, I had gone to church since I was a little kid, but about 16 is when it started to kind of mean more to me, when it started to matter more to me. And, and when I was at that stage, um, I, would, I would try to read the Bible. I would try to understand uh, what God was trying to communicate, what God was saying. But, but as I think about it, no one really like, taught me how. And as I talk to more and more Christians, that seems pretty common. Like, especially early on, there's not, there's not a lot of times where you, you kind of sat down with the Bible and people say, well, here's, here's how to do this. Here's how to go to God's Word. Here's how to read Scripture and, and get uh, maybe a, a reasonable understanding or, or something that's not just your own thoughts that you just kind of put on the page and then, and then pick back up and say, oh, yeah, maybe that's what the Bible said. Uh, but you're able to kind of look into God's Word and see uh, what's going on there. So, so here's what I would do. Um, again, very, very new Christian. I would take the Bible. I would open to any random place. I kind of go like the, I don't know, I'd pray beforehand or something. Maybe, you've probably been there, right? Uh, pray beforehand. Now, one thing that's not too terrible about this technique is you often end up in the middle, uh, which is often the Psalms. Uh, but if you overshoot it, you get to these prophets, and then you get a really interesting uh, word for the day. Uh, so like mine today, uh, I, I just open it up, and this is totally random. Uh, here is Isaiah 66, uh, verse 3. He who sacrifices a bull is like the one who kills a person. <laughs> and whoever offers a lamb is like the one who breaks a dog's neck. And that was random. And then I would like pray and see if it applied to my life somehow. Uh, and here, I mean, I don't sacrifice bulls um, often. I, I like dogs. I don't want to do that. Um, and, and I say jokingly, but like that is really what, what ended up, I ended up doing, right? And, then, and sometimes it, it seemed to work in a sense. It seemed to like apply. And then sometimes it'd be like, that was confusing. And then I would try again or something. Um, but I really didn't know what to do. It was just all guesswork. It was like, is this the right way to go about reading this book? And 
I, I know it's supposed to apply to my life, and, and how does that work? And it just got uh, maybe more and more confusing. So in this, so this sermon, and then we're going to take a, a week of a break, and then the next sermon after that, um, I'm doing this series that's called How to Read the Bible. This is not like the one and only way to read the Bible, because, I mean, there's times where I had stuff going on in my life, and I did that technique, and I don't know, through some awesome work of the Holy Spirit, some, something was important. There, and, and it wasn't just random, like it seemed like biblical truth that spoke into my life. And, and I guess the Holy Spirit can work that way, but, but what I found more often than not was confusion. Uh, and what I found more often than not was, was kind of strange interpretation of verse, like that last one. I don't know, we could just talk about that the whole time. Um, and, and it would get disheartening right? So, so eventually, I kind of would put my Bible away for a while, and it would get dusty. And then by the time I picked it up, I'd have to like clean it off again, right? And, and then maybe I'd open it, and I'd read something. And, and it took me years to actually like sit down and read the Bible and not go to it like it was some kind of word for the day search that I needed to somehow find. Right, so, so my hope with this sermon series, it's a real short one as we're leading up to Advent, uh, but my hope is to give you some tools that help you go to the Bible and, and see what God is saying. We're going to it for uh, interpretation, we're trying to understand in our own lives that there's communication that's happening here, but, but there's certain techniques that help that and help you be able to do it. So I want to help equip you all. We, we live in this amazing time where where many people, other than, you know, often the youngest, are, are quite literate in our culture. That is, that's new for the church. Think about the last 2,000 years. That's, that's new. What used to always exist was, was there was literally a person, this was many, many years, that would go up front, like I just did, and they would open the Bible, and they would tell the people what it meant. And a big part of that was because the, most of the people weren't literate, meaning they couldn't read. So you needed the Bible expert to come up front because they could read, and, and they, were, uh, they spent time studying it, right? So we, we live in this kind of strange church model where we still are kind of doing that, but many of you can go to the Bible. But as, as you talk to more and more Christians, they say, well, I know I can, but I don't feel like I'm equipped to. I don't, I don't really, like, like when I hear the pastor speak, they're, they're getting so much more out of the Bible than I ever do. I read it, and I'm just kind of confused, or I don't really know what, what I'm doing. So in this series, I'm going to have four helpful skills uh, that I think are really going to be awesome uh, for you as you go to the Bible yourself and try to gain uh, some understanding there. Uh, before we get into that, uh, just a little bit about how the Bible is written. There's different types of literature in the Bible, right? There's different uh, genres of literature. So one is, is narrative. That's, that's a big one. It's just, you know, it's storytelling. That's 43% of the Bible. So 43% of the Bible is what you normally probably think of when you think of the Bible. Uh, storytelling, either historical things or like the parables of Jesus. When, when he tells a story, you know, that counts in that category. But that's, that's 43% of the Bible. Another 33%, so one-third of the whole Bible is poetry. That surprises most Christians, I think. One-third of the Bible is poetry. Sometimes this is a whole books of it, like the book of Psalms. Uh, other times there'll, there'll be a narrative that's happening, a story that's happening, and then all of a sudden it just like breaks off into a song, 
that someone's singing or, or into a poem that someone's singing, and then it goes back to the story. Uh, so sections like that or, or poetic speeches uh, that people give in the Bible, sometimes, again, whole books of the Bible, sometimes little chunks, but it actually adds up to be a third of the Bible is poetry. 24% is, is what people call prose discourse, which is not uh, something we say very often, but all prose discourse means it's like normal language. Right, so these are these are speeches, uh, these are letters, these are times where you're reading and you get to like a biblical law. That's how that's written. It's called prose discourse. So when Paul writes, you know, to one of his churches and he's writing a letter, that's that's the format. It's not really storytelling, but it's certainly not poetry. It's just kind of kind of normal speech. So that's what makes it up: forty-three percent narrative, thirty-three percent poetry, twenty-four percent prose discourse. So for this series, I'm, I'm going to focus just on the narrative part, because I think that's where a lot of us go when we go to the Bible. We want to go to the stories. Um, we we want to understand the stories better. So I'm going to focus on that. But if you really love this, tell me, because then I'll add another sermon series sometime in the future. It'll be after Christmas, but you'll get it. Or maybe like a Sunday school class or something. Uh, we can look into this more. So we're just going to zoom in. Again, we have the whole Bible. Now we're going to zoom in to biblical narrative, biblical storytelling, and look at some tools there. And most people, they just open the Bible, they start reading. Uh, often, there's little to no thought of what kind of literature this is. Uh, we tell a lot of stories in our own culture, so we feel like we're kind of used to storytelling, but, but how it's written in the Bible is so different than our everyday stories. Just a tiny example. Um, in the Bible, they like to not tell you details. You ever notice that? Most modern English readers, it's really frustrating. Cain and Abel. Grow up in the church, many of you know the Cain and Abel story. It's like a page and a half. We want to know so much more. What, what were the motives? Why did God accept this offering and not that? Why did Cain do it? What was, was he trying to really hide from God when he tried to get it? Well, we're not told anything that, that we want to know, right? So then we go to the Bible and we're like, that's kind of a strange little story. And then we move on. Um, but there's actually under, way, ways to understand that kind of storytelling that, that makes it much deeper. It's not simple. It's not like in there because it's like easy reading, like it's some kind of children's book. Um, the Bible's complicated, and it's for adults, and it, it's for us to be able to dive into and, and understand, but there's helpful tools to be able to do that. It's a frustrating place to stay uh, if you don't have that ability. So I believe that the Bible um, is at the same time accessible and complicated. It's accessible and it's complicated, and it's good for us to kind of wrestle with that nature of what the Bible is, depending on what church tradition maybe you grew up in. Sometimes you might hear one stressed a lot more than the other, but, but it's accessible and it's complicated. And I think the biblical authors, and, and just when I say that, I mean the human authors, the ones that were writing, I believe they were divinely inspired by God. So I want to be clear about that in the beginning, because sometimes when we start talking about the Bible as literature, then people go, wait, what is he saying? What exactly is he saying about, about these human authors? So I believe they're divinely inspired, but I think in their own right that they're literary geniuses. 
that, that the ways the stories are woven together and then these threads that connect this story to this old one, I, I don't think that the biblical authors like sat there and like zoned out and then like their hand moved and then they woke up and God did something in front of them. I think God used amazing people in, that, were, that were literary geniuses and then that is who God used. So, so some of this is, is some human author stuff and some is God using it, but I think it's beautifully woven together and that's what we get to when we come to Scripture, these crafted masterpieces, um, really specific messages and and those authors wanted you to know something when you read this story. So it's not just like history for history's sake. So I, I believe there is history. I believe it tells truth. I believe it tells truthful stories in the sense that, that this event happened. But if you think about how that works, like it's not video camera footage of what went on. And even if it was, we still would be seeing one specific angle of video camera footage, right? It's, it's told in a way that, that is supposed to generate uh, some kind of thought process in your mind. You're supposed to come to some kind of conclusion even as you read this story. So I think every single story in the Bible helps us understand God. I think it helps us understand ourselves. Uh, and often they're, they're there to instruct us on how to live a certain kind of life, how to live life a certain way. For example, the book of, in the book of Ruth, uh, pretty well known, you know, Ruth is, is loyal to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and as we read in the book of Ruth, there's, there's something that happens. It's been, it's been written in such a way, it's been crafted in such a way that we start to learn something about God's loyalty to his people, right? We start to learn something about God's loyalty, but we also start to learn at the same time how we are to behave. How are we are to be, to be loyal to others and, and follow alongside others. So it's not just history for history's sake. There's a message woven in there that we start to understand. Um, do we have the PowerPoint slides? Did we get those working? We did get them working. Awesome. All right, what is this? It's a that was a trick question. Sorry, that was kind of nasty. This, this is a screen that you're looking at right now. Right? And it sounds kind of funny. I mean, we, we ignore the obvious, right? You're looking at a screen. On the screen, uh, I have depicted, because of my amateur photography skills, uh, a tree at White Pines Park over by the lake. And in this tree, actually, you're, you're looking at a screen. So when you look at the Bible, you're looking at words on a page. All right? And through looking at words on a page, you start to understand, because you understand how to read the words, and and, and you start to get a picture of what's going on. You start to get a picture of what's happening here. And, and the words are arranged in such a way that they're communicating something. And it, and it can be the same with, with something like photography. So last Monday, uh, before the wind came and, and any weather, I went and took this picture uh, of this little tree. And I'm no master photographer, but with, with a simple cell phone camera, it can communicate something. Right, so, so is this a real tree? And now you're not going to answer because you think I'm tricking you. Uh, I mean, it is and it's not, right? It is because that's a real tree at White Pines Park. It's not because you're looking at a screen, <laughs> right? So, so it's a little, little difficult. Could you touch this tree? Well, I mean, 
if you drove a couple miles on the road, <laughs> uh, but, you know, it gets a little complicated. So, so as we look at Scripture, I think there's some truth here. So you're looking at several different things. You're looking at a screen. Then you're looking through my lens of my cell phone when I took the photo. So I'm, I'm trying to compare this. So, so it's like you're looking at the Bible, but then there, there is this, like, biblical author that matters because the tree is the same tree, but it can be depicted different ways depending on what that author wants. Right, so the next photo. Same tree. Exact same tree, photo number two. It's a close-up look. The sky's, you know, above it, uh, but it feels completely different than the first one. It's a real tree, right? But, but as, as the photographer, I got to pick how you experienced it a little bit. Um, and it's really important. The next, we'll go through these fairly quick. The next one here. Can you see the tree? It's way back there. It's there. It's straight in the center. I tried to line it up for you. Um, but a very different photo, right? I, I get to pick as the photographer how you, how you see it. Is, it. is it the main character? Is it, is it a supporting you know, actor? Is it way in the distance? Uh, let's see the next one. Or do I just show you one branch? Again, the same tree. Right? It's the same tree, and, and yet I can depict it in different ways. And, and one more here. Now it's just a supporting character with this other tree. Right? Is it, don't we live in a nice place? <laughs> Literally just like went down there and I'm like, I need some pictures of a tree. Uh, cell phone. Uh, yeah, last one here. This is the same as the first one. So, so do you see what I'm saying? So the tree is real. So when we come to the Bible, the, the story is real. What's happening is, is history. This, these things happened, but that human author matters. Uh, and, and how the Holy Spirit's working with them matters. How it's depicted matters. It's going to communicate different things, depending on how it's shown. So, so again, same tree. I could just show you a branch. I could, I could make it the side character. I could, I could point it up and it looks more hopeful. Or, or if I was really tall, maybe I could do a downward angle and it would feel different. But, but I get to depict it in different ways. So the same is true here for the biblical authors. The story is real, but let's not underestimate the influence of the author. Uh, so as we get into this, that's, that's kind of the, the angle I'm coming at this with. Are you, are you tracking with me? Is this making sense? Okay. Um, so they're led by the Holy Spirit. They create and craft this masterful story, and it communicates exactly what they want it to communicate. And it teaches exactly what they want it to teach. So, so let's just get in here. We'll do biblical narrative. Uh, narrative as a whole is just storytelling. It's really simple. Uh, there's... There's a character, and they have an event, and it takes place in a specific setting, and then, boom, you have a narrative. So the dog went for a walk in the park. Yep. All right, great story, Pastor. <laughs> but but that's, a, that's narrative, right? The dog, the character, he went for a walk, and where did he do it? He did it in the park, and, and it's simple. So the, this is like half the Bible, right? I mean, it's just blown up. But, but we have Abraham and Sarah, and they left Ur, and they traveled to the promised land. All right, uh, we understand kind of the basics of the, of the plot there. Um, and we'll talk about two skills for understanding narrative, this time two uh, in, a, in a couple weeks. So the first one is just that, it's plot. 
If, if we understand the plot of the story, we're going to understand the Bible a whole lot more. And often the plot is bigger than what can get preached on in one Sunday morning worship service. So, so that's where we've like, many of us, we, we have a hard time looking into Scripture because sometimes you have to read like three chapters instead of half a one. Right? But, but we need to understand. So, so a few different basics of plot line. There's a character and they're in a setting. Then something happens. Some kind of tension is building. Something happens, uh, causing problems and tensions. Eventually, it leads to some ultimate conflict that goes on, and then, and then it is resolved. Right? This, is, this is just basic storytelling. And then it's resolved, and the characters find themselves changed. So we see that over and over again in the Bible. And sometimes, sometimes the authors play with that a little bit to mess with us uh, in really, really fun ways. But, but that's the basic story, right? There's, here's a character. Something happens, continues to build, ultimate conflict, and then, uh, then it resolves, right? And, and often they're changed for it. And as we read that story, we can kind of place ourselves into the, into the story and think, well, how would I react? What, what's going on in my life? Uh, one potential problem or pitfall with interpreting narrative is that out of this plot line, we take one section and we pull it out like it's something by itself, and we read it only by itself, and then we draw a bunch of conclusions. And we ignore the rest of the plot line, right? So we ignore, we ignore the bottom part. We, we just take, like, the middle out. So, so that's what I kind of did with this Gideon reading <laughs> earlier today, right? So uh, our scripture reading today was from Judges, uh, and, and it's, and it's a, a judge named Gideon. And it may be familiar to you. It has the fleece, and he's kind of testing God. And... This has been a really interesting interpretation by churches throughout the centuries, right? Because there's whole like church traditions that like use this to figure out how to test God to see if, if God is like going to do something for them. And then there's other people that say, no, that's, that's not a good interpretation uh, of this text. But what it is, it's an interpretation that comes because of the plot line. And you took this and you brought it over here and, and now you only interpret it by itself. So if we just look at this story, there's a pretty obvious conflict and a pretty obvious resolution. God has, has come to Gideon. The people are, are being attacked by this group called the Midianites. And God says, I'm going to rescue you. And, and the conflict is, how does Gideon know that he will succeed? And if we look at it by itself, the resolution is that Gideon tests God and he finds out. And if we just end there, I, th I think we get a kind of a poor biblical interpretation of what's going on. The, the bigger tool says, no, we need to look at the whole plot. We need to look at this whole story. It's like three chapters long of what's going on in, in Gideon's life. What's the, what's the bigger story? It's part of a lar larger plot line. So, so we have Gideon and the Israelites, and they're living in fear because they're being oppressed by the Midianites. Uh, then there's a call to action. God commissions Gideon uh, and says he will use him to help defeat the Midianites and, and save the Israelites. So, so we're building uh, this story. But then Gideon is really hesitant. Gideon's really hesitant, so he asks God to do a sign. And it's not even this one yet. So he asks God to do a sign. It, it involves this altar and, and this fire. Um, and then we're told that God does it. 
Then God gives Gideon his first job. He says, go tear down this altar of this other God that has been built in my land. And Gideon, and, and again, a little strange uh, part of the story, decides to do it at night instead of during the middle of the day. You get, you get what's going on? So he tests God in the beginning, and then God calls him to do something and be bold, and he says, well, I'll, I'll be kind of bold. I'll go do it in the cover of darkness when no one will see me, but I'll do it. So he does it, uh, and then there's reaction to that, and then the story goes on, and then we get to this one. Then Gideon once again doubts if God is going to use him, so, so he does this whole thing with the fleece. And then Gideon says, you know, pardon me, God, but let me test you one more time. Right, so now we're at test number four. Gideon's still not listening to God. God does it once again. Then we get to our climax of the story. Gideon gathers 30,000 soldiers, and he's going to go fight the Midianites. And God says 30,000 is too many. And God starts whittling them down in really interesting ways. This is where you get the, like, those that scoop up the water and drink it and those that, like, lap it up like a dog. I don't know if that sounds familiar, but read the story. Uh, And and eventually it whittles down, and you get to 300 soldiers, 30,000 to 300. And then God instructs them to just bring torches and trumpets, which which are not the instruments of war, right? So so bring torches and trumpets, and, and God... Uh, has them surround the Midianites at night. So the Midianites are like in a valley and they're up on the hillside and they surround, they start blowing the the torches or they start blowing the trumpets and waving the torches and and they start scaring the Midianites because it looks like they're surrounded. And what happens in front of the Israelites is the Midianites are so scared in their camp that they start killing each other thinking they're being attacked. And they defeat their own army. As Gideon and and the Israelites stand back and just watch God win the victory. And then Gideon goes on. Right, so, that, so that's the bigger story. That's what's happening here. So, so plot as a tool, what, what we're going to do is we're going to look at that whole story to help interpret what the, what the point of the story is, not just that little piece that we plucked out. Right, so we're going to look at the whole story, and, and it changes how we view it. It changes what we're looking at. God wins the victory for them. So the story isn't offering us readers tips on how to discern God's will. The story is telling us about God's commitment to use weak people with deep flaws to do more than they could ever imagine. Right? That sounds like good news. That's good news to me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you're feeling this morning, but, but that sounds like awesome news. So, so the point of the story is that God is going to use weak people with deep flaws, and, and he's going to do incredible things through them. And And that actually makes sense because if we continue to back up and read the bigger plot, that's the plot of the whole book of Judges, is God using these kind of people to do amazing things. So we got there using this one skill, right? We looked at the whole plot of what's going on, and we learned about God's commitment. The second skill for this week, the second one is the character. How is a character developed in a Bible, meaning each individual person? So, uh, we understand the plot. It, it now helps if we understand who Gideon is. Right? What, kind of, what kind of person is he? What do we know about him? What, what, what have we been told? We, we understand Gideon better now that we looked at the whole thing. 
right? Now we understand a lot more about Gideon. Is Gideon some brave warrior who trusts God? Absolutely not. <laughs> Gideon, from the moment we meet him, he's hiding. And, and we're shown that he's a coward, but that God is going to use him. Um, so, so we understand that he's cowardly, that he's unsure, that he's untrusting, but, but that God will use him anyway. And this is actually really common with biblical characters, people that, that take center stage uh, in the Bible. It's really com- They're complex people. Again, this is, it's not like a children's book. There's not like, here's the good guy, here's the bad guy. Uh, a, lot, a lot of our modern stories are kind of that way. Like you start reading, you're like, okay, I figured out who the good guy is. Uh, and then you kind of continue on. But the Bible is really complex. There's people like Moses that murder an Egyptian. And then we're not told if that was okay. If we continue reading the Bible, we might try to figure out some hints. But like, was God okay with that? Was that the right thing for Moses to do? It doesn't, you know, modern English readers want to know. Right? Modern English reader will give us the details. <laughs> like, tell, tell, us, tell us the motivation in his heart. Did he just get really angry and fly off the handle and do this, do this thing that, that we're told other places in the Bible, don't murder people, right? And, and he did. So, so was that out of his anger or was this some kind of like righteous anger, right? We're not told. And, and this happens a lot in the Bible, especially with the character. This is how the characters are developed. This is not some, some loophole. In the Bible, this is on purpose because it draws you in, right? It's on purpose. They give you less detail so that you chew over it more and that you read it more and that you, that you read going forward thinking, well, maybe if I continue reading, that's going to help illuminate what just happened back there. And then once we finally get to something, then we can back up in time and we can read it again. And, and I, I think of it like, it's like we have to chew on this for a lifetime. We continue to read, and then once we understand one story better, it, it helps illuminate the rest of it, and then, then we got to start over again. You don't just, like, get done with the Bible, right? You, you continue reading it, and, and you get more, and you get more, and then, then you understand one thing, and it helps another, and, and, and they bounce back and forth, and it's this beautiful thing, but, but here the characters are the same. They lack so many details that good English modern readers want to know. So many. And they sometimes tell us things that we don't care about. <laughs> but most of the time, they just don't tell us. Uh, so, so here's an example. We rarely hear what people look like in the Bible. If you open a modern book, uh, it's going to start you know, a couple different ways. It might tell you a setting that it's in. You know, This is going to take place in a Wild West setting. And we go, okay, I kind of understand the plot already, right? There's probably going to be a, a cowboy and a bandit and a sheriff and, you know, something's going to happen. And, and we start reading that way. But one of the things it always does is it tells us what everyone looks like. I didn't look it up, but from what I read from uh, another, another pastor, they said if you take all the chapter or all the pages that describe what Harry Potter looks like, and you put them back to back, that there's like 15 pages that are just describing his physical appearance, right? Because that, that's how we understand the story. It helps us like dive fully in. Um, so when the Bible does tell us what people look like, it's really important. It's really, they're trying to communicate something with you. Here's, here's an example. So Saul, King Saul, is tall. 
It says he's head and shoulders taller than the rest of his army. Now, I guarantee you, as you continue reading, he's going to lean on his own strength and not trust in God. David, we're told, is much shorter than the average person, but we're also told that he's good-looking. Now, in his shortness, it also connects that he's going to lean on God, not on his own strength, but that good-looking part is going to come into the story, too. Right? David's, David's going to use that later on, and, and Esau, you know, to, to go back a few books, Esau is, is hairy all over his body, and as the story continues, he starts to act pretty animalistic. He starts to give in to his urges pretty quickly. Jacob is smooth in his skin, but he's, uh, he's a deceiver. Do you know what Abraham looked like? Not really. I mean, he's a guy. I, I think there's a few verses that reference his beard. So, I mean, he's a bearded guy. Okay, that doesn't really help that much. Uh, how about Ruth? I don't think so. Moses. I mean, these are main people, right? What does Moses look like? Huh? <laughs> Charlton Heston. <laughs> Thank you. You're all helping the sermon. <laughs> but what, even like, even Jesus. There's not like a chapter in the Gospels where they're like, oh, I'm just going to tell you what he looks like. And, and it, ma- it, it matters and it doesn't matter, right? So it's not what they're focusing on. It's not going to tie into the story in the same way. We get small hints here or there. There can be little verses you pull out, and we can kind of understand from some of the prophecies, maybe part about Jesus or, or something like that. But, but John the Baptist, on the other hand, John the Baptist, we're told a lot about what he looks like. Every gospel. Every gospel tells us what he dresses like, what he ate. We get a really good description. As modern audiences, we're like, yes, finally I can picture someone, right? But... But the reason is because it's going to communicate a lot. It's going to tell us a lot in the story. The, the other part of that, so we have how people look. Another part is, is what people's names are. So they, we just read the name, and sometimes it'll say, which means, you know, something. Abraham, which means father of many. You're like, okay, that's helpful. But, but this is going to be really helpful as we start to read the Bible. So Abraham means father of many. Hagar so remember, Abraham and Sarah, they, they end up in Egypt, and, and they come out, and, and later on, they want to have a child. God says they will, and they, uh, Sarah's not, not able to, to give birth, and they take Hagar, Sarah's Egyptian slave, and she gets abused, and then she gets sent away to die. Hagar's name means the immigrant. It's just, it's just the Hebrew word for the immigrant. That's going to matter in the story, right? And, and different interpretations, different in, in English, different interpretations will tell you. But Hagar means the immigrant. Jacob, a reference, Jacob means deceiver. That's what his name means. What do you think he's going to do? Deceive, right? He's probably going to be a deceiver. Ruth means refreshment. Saul, like King Saul, I really like this one. Saul means the one who is asked for. Remember the people wanted a king? They found Saul. They asked for him. That's what his name means. Like this, again, when we dive into Scripture, there's so much there. So, so they're using a really little amount of space to tell you a bunch. And sometimes we want them to use a lot of space to tell us a little bit. Uh, but, 
But again, that's, that's our problem. That's not their problem, right? That's us coming with our own expectations of what the Scripture should, should talk like and communicate like, but, but that's not their problem. They often leave out so much that we want to know, thoughts, motivations, what's going on. I referenced it earlier, but, uh, you know, Moses kills this Egyptian, right? He, he's... It's early in the story. He sees an Egyptian harming an Israelite, uh, and we're told that he kills him and he buries him in the sand. And we're not told why. We're supposed to sit with it. We're supposed to see, well, what happens as a result of this? Was this good or was this bad? Was this righteous anger? Did he just lose his control? Was it okay with God that he did it? Was it not okay? Well, Well, he ends up leaving for 40 years, so that maybe says it's a bad thing. But he finds his wife, uh, you know, where he escaped to. So maybe that's good. I don't, I don't know. What do we get to? It drives, draws us further and further in. So instead we keep reading and we learn more. And, and like I said before, these biblical characters, they're so complex. But so, so are we, right? I mean, they're, they're regular humans in, in that sense. They're not all good, they're not all evil, but in such a wonderful way, it's why they're relatable. Because we're not all good, and we're not all evil, and we make complicated decisions, and sometimes we doubt God, and sometimes we seek after God, and sometimes we're a lot more like Gideon, and hopefully not too often we're like Moses, right? <laughs> at least in this story. Uh, but but God is using these flawed people. And, and there's this whole message of hope that from our perspective, we learn something about God. We learn something about the kind of God or the kind of, the kind of God that he is, the kind of people that he will use. We actually start to learn stuff about ourselves and who we are and what it means to follow this God, what it means to seek after this God. Sometimes we can see our best, the best of ourselves in, in the people in the Bible, and sometimes we see the worst of ourselves in the people in the Bible, and we can, we can see how, how the whole thing is designed to, to actually reveal uh, not only this historical event, not only this way that, that an author is depicting it that's really important, not only what the Holy Spirit is doing through the whole thing, but, but then we continue to back up, and sometimes there's this mirror that shines back on us. Right, so we're learning about them, and, and I'm learning about me. And I'm learning about their relationship with God, and I'm learning about my relationship with God. And I'm learning about what, what God is going to do in their lives and how God is going to, to be with them. And I'm learning about myself and my own situations and my own hardships. There's this big category for the Bible that uh, some people just kind of categorize the whole thing as one genre, one kind of literature, and they call it this, wisdom literature. Brilliant, right? <laughs> That's the whole title. Wisdom, what does that mean? It means, means it shows you a certain kind of life. It's there to, to show you what it means to follow this God, not just to teach you who God is, not just to teach you who, who Moses was or who who Aaron was or who Ruth was. I mean, that's important, but, it, but it's, it's teaching you about who God is. And it's teaching you about why that matters in your own life, but it is not something that you can do 
by going like this and reading a random verse. I don't want to read that one. <laughs> it's a little odd. <laughs> I scrolled too far. <laughs> I think it's exactly what it's talking about in Psalm chapter 1. In, in the book of Psalms, in chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Blessed is the one who does, does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law, we're talking about scripture here, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of living water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose life, or whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That's my goal with this, with this series, with with kind of taking a step back from the Bible and talking about how we read it, how we understand it, is, is this is my prayer for you. I want you to be the kind of follower of Jesus that, that can meditate on this day and night, that can sit with that, that goes to the Scriptures themselves to learn about themselves, to learn about their God, to learn about what's going on in their lives, and, and doesn't just go and get frustrated and get confused and then put it back on the bookshelf where it gets dusty. And then, and then in a time of need, you know, dust it off and, and open it up and, and try to see, is there, is there some kind of nugget of truth? There's so much in there. There's so much, but, but these basic tools are really helpful. So we just talked about two today. We talked about plot, uh, talked about characters. Uh, I'm going to talk about a few more uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, one that's really important is called Setting. Uh, and that's just as where a story is taking place. You know, it matters a great deal. And the other one's called design patterns, and it's like my favorite thing ever. Uh, and it's what I like do when I explain the Bible, but I never told you what I was doing. <laughs> so, so that's called design patterns, and that's really exciting. It's how all these stories are like woven together, like, like Adam and Eve. How you read Adam and Eve like matters for David and Bathsheba, you know, kind of stuff. Like, there's a lot going on. Uh, so that's called design patterns. So we'll do that. Uh, in a couple weeks also. But why don't we uh, pause here uh, and we'll pray and then in just a moment we'll uh, partake in communion together.